Gautier Resoli has specialised in the environmental footprint of the digital sector for five years and is certainly among the most knowledgeable people I have been lucky to chat with about these issues. He's currently doing a PhD at RMIT, that's the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology, to explore which digital infrastructures and services are compatible with a world stabilised at plus two degrees Celsius. I started our chat by asking Gautier about the electricity impact of data centres. Well, historically, there has been two assessments of how much data centres consume worldwide in terms of electricity. There have been the uh, IEA uh, estimates, so around like 200 terawatts hour, which is based on the work from Sherby and Hal in, on the US uh, data, data center sector. The analysis was made in 2016, and from this first analysis was then derived the um, IEA analysis, but also the Masanet and Kumi analysis that have been uh, widely used so far. Other assessments come from the Border Stem Institute uh, in Germany that did somehow the same analysis at the EU scale and also the worldwide scale, which very different numbers. Um, and the scenario for worldwide data center electricity consumption was around for 400 terawatt hour. Um, so the best we know so far from a worldwide perspective is that the, um, the range of electricity consumption for data centers is around 200 and 400. To be fair, don't believe, knowing how the data sets are being set up in, uh, in the, on, from the US side, uh, I don't really think that it's... Uh, most realistic one because it assumes that a large part of the worldwide data centers will go hyperscale uh, and they extrapolated that market presentation of hyperscale worldwide to get a number of two, uh, 200 with many other factors but at the end of the main hypothesis behind the work while the German estimate is considering a less penetration rate of hyperscale in Europe and in other markets, and um, and if if we if we look at data coming from other countries, but that cannot be verified, uh, sadly, because data is not open. The the methods used are not open. But for example, the Ministry of Telecommunication of Technology and Information Communication in China is estimating their own data center energy consumption uh, around two hundred terawatts per hour which doesn't make sense according to the estimates that we have. But since we cannot see what they're including in data, in what they're calling data centers, we actually don't know uh, the, what's happening in China. And the thing is that from, from the IEA estimates and based on Sherby and Masanet, they extrapolate from an American data set to the world. And from the border step side, they extrapolate mostly German data and European data to the world. So it's actually very hard to have, to have a precise picture. And that's why we always need to get a more territorial perspective to actually look specifically in countries to see where what does it actually means locally 
and to set up policies that are that are effective towards a specific situation, like in Ireland. So in Ireland, as you're saying, you know, 14% of Irish electricity, it's an enormous quantity in a very short period of, of time, like in, in, in the history of data centers. And, and it, you know, people are estimating it'll grow to 30% uh, if, if uh, the, the growth of data centers actually continues. So in, in country environments or certain country environments, it's it's a significant element of the electrical mix. The issue in Ireland is capacity. We need more, if we want to grow the data center sector that much in Ireland, then we need to increase capacity. The fact is, if I understand well, the power uh, the power provider air grid doesn't have the enough enough cap, enough um, possibilities to to increase the cap- its capacity according to the demand of data centers and also to the other sectors' demand. And this issue is not new at all. The same happened in Amsterdam, in Frankfurt, in Singapore. This kind of planning issues all, always happen. It's because we have a sector with a large power demand increasing very fast, and that is unsettling for many power operators. We had also the same issue in France, uh, in the north of Paris, where basically you have to make a choice that you either follow your energy transition roadmap, which normally includes that you need to reduce your energy consumption a lot, or you follow economic development uh, pathway, which will always favor data centers. And I don't know how it is in Ireland, but I know like in France, between now, so 20, I mean, let's say 2020 to 2050, we'll have to, we have to reduce our final energy consumption by 40% in 30. So in 40 years, in 30 years, we need to reduce by 40% our energy consumption, which means going from 1,600 terawatt per hour to 900 terawatt per hour by 2050. And that's actually the framing that we need to have in mind when we are analyzing such sectors. What is our energy transition roadmap, and does it fit into it? That's the main issue because, at the at that moment, you can have the data centers operator in Ireland that will absorb all the renewable capacity being put on the grid, and not allowing other sector to get it, and at the same time increasing the demand the demand for electricity. So we we end up with data centers operators having a very nice CSR report with lowering the lowering the, um, the carbon intensity of the electricity mix, but not allowing other, cap- other actors to get it. So at the end, if you, look, if you look at it from a territorial perspective, it's a zero-sum game. As you say, the renewables um, that go to the data center can't go to an ordinary household, or you know, there's, a, there's, there's a limited capacity for those at the, at the moment in the process. Uh, so, you know, but the bigger picture, or maybe not the bigger, but the electricity, it's it's part of, of the overall impact of a data center. But the story that often isn't told that, that much is its physical infrastructure. Um, you know, could you give us a bit of a sense of, you know, all the other elements of the data center that, that we need to focus on from an environmental uh, point of view? 
So if you take it from a life cycle assessment perspective, the first thing is the construction of the building itself. Uh, so sometimes operators will take will take on uh, old buildings and refurbish them, renovate them according to the to the specificities that they need for data centers. Then you need to include all energy equipment and uh, cooling equipment. So basically, uh, AC if it's if they're using that or uh, water what water cooling system. And also the fact that you will have um, you will be plugged to to the energy grid, and you will need transformators and so on to get uh, to get the right uh, the right uh, electricity in. But also all the energy systems that are that are here in case of power blackouts. So which means first batteries lithium uh, depends on the technology, but can be lithium batteries that will take on. Uh, the, the, that will take on in case of power blackout and keep bringing um, electricity to the data center for a few minutes for the engine, like the fuel engine, to kick in and to provide a stable uh, power line. Which means, so in normally in each data center there is always a turbine, like basically it's like a like a motor for 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 a boat. Uh, with a fuel with a fuel reservoirs at at least to maintain data centers I mean, depending on the operator from two to four days even maybe even bigger so that's the thing to start with and then you have this building with electricity coming in you have cooling coming in and then you need to put your hardware in and to be fair from an economic point of view the most important part of the building is hardware. Uh, it's not the building or the energy systems because you can move your hardware anywhere. That's where you have your value. The building itself is secondary. Obviously, it's not easy to to move out all your hardware from one data center to one another, but it's possible. And then this hardware comes from with a material footprint. Uh, servers can be quite carbon heavy, but also it depends um, of the of how much time you will keep them um, data centers on average tend to like from a, when we are doing life cycle analysis we are taking the hypothesis that a server uh, will last at least for four to five years it, and it's what manufacturers are providing as as a, as a reference point uh, then it depends in reality in a big hyperscaler especially from Google, Amazon, and so on. We have uh, like whispers or info that the refresh rate for servers in such facilities is maybe around 18 to 20 months. We do not mean they will be discarded right after. It just means that they will enter a second cycle as refurbished. And that's why in the US there is such a big, big market for refurbished hardware, server hardware. Because there is laws being dropped by uh, by uh, Google, Amazon, and, and so on, and yet if the server is normally powered all the time, being being run twenty four hours seven seven day a week, then most of its footprint will come for electricity consumption. Normally, like so. Standard ratio is that the material footprints represent twenty percent 
I mean, the manufacturing footprint represents 20% of the overall footprint, and the use phase, the poor consumption, represents 80%. But it's based on the scenario where your hardware lasts for five years and is not refurbished in, in, in between. And, uh, and then there is the all end of life thing that I don't really, um, I don't really know it because I, I only know about refurb, uh, refurbished uh, markets for server, hard, for data center hardware, but I don't know how they are being treating afterwards once they are officially done. And I don't actually know how long a server can last be, because it always depends on the operation you are putting in. It seems that um, the manufacturer server can be in the region of a ton of CO2, you know, somewhere somewhere in that region. A short life for these products is um, is very negative from a manufacturing point of view, you know, if you're constantly going through that, that cycle. And some of them do go into refurbishment, but some of them or some of the components, they they get physically trashed, don't they, from a security point of view? Well, for hard drives, yes. Um, and then for IC, for integrated circuits, it depends. And at the end, what we get from that, from a, a recycling point of view, it's little, uh, little, uh, little minerals. It's a mix of aluminium, copper and uh, something called in French laiton, but I don't know how to say it in English. So we are losing most of the materials. Uh, I mean, from most of the time when we are dealing with waste coming from the digital sector, we are we are recovering very few metals compared to the to the diversity of metals that we are putting in input. Yeah, that, I saw one study that said that of the e-waste that is um, is recycled often only about 30 percent 30 to 40 percent of useful materials are actually returned from the actual recycling process yeah yeah it's because i mean if you just take a smartphone for example there's like up like 50 up to 55 metals in a in a smartphone with very different volumes going from milligrams to uh, to grams and most of the rare metals or the small metals will never be recovered because first they're in so small quantity or they've been used in an alloy or they just cannot be taken back. So we are losing most of our rare and small metals when we are recycling ICT products. So we've got the hardware, we've got the server hardware, the computer hardware, but we also have um, electromechanical hardware don't we, that is often has a much shorter life cycle than it would have in a in a factory or a you know the other as well you know that I read that about a fifteen to twenty year life cycle for the electromechanical hardware whereas in a typical factory that would be expected to be used for forty years. Oh, you mean like uh, generators, batteries, generators, air conditioning, but yeah. I don't that, don't know that much on that part. The thing is, we know it lasts less in data centers, but it's also a, a small part of. I mean, until today, and uh, to my knowledge, it was a small part of the footprint of the footprint because it's a one-time big equipment with a very low. Um, I mean, with 
relatively long uh, uh, life. Um, but I don't know that much be uh, because in LCA, we don't include them. <laughs> Uh, in terms of methodology, um, the construction of the building and putting inside electromechanical equipment is very, very, very rarely accounting, accounted for. So actually, I don't have a clear picture of that because we don't have data on that. You know, even the, the buildings are only supposed to last 20 or, or 40 years. That is a kind of part of this whole digital culture that's that's nothing is designed to last. The same in a life cycle assessment, we take the hypothesis that the building will last 20 years. Basically, you get your return after, if I remember well, five to seven years of operation. So after five to seven years, you can consider that you, can, you could move out if necessary. And it can depend on many factors. Like, why would you move your data center out? You can can be like that you got a very good deal with electricity somewhere else. It can be also environmental issues. I, for example, I've never really understood why um, big hyperscaler were installed in high water stress uh, region, like the west part of the US. And I don't see how this kind of operation can last over, over more than 20 years because the water stress in Colorado is already increasing quite fast. And yet we have more and more data centers be, being constructed in the, in the region. The same goes in Texas, same goes in Utah. So I, I don't really understand what, it, what are the mid to long-term perspective for data center operators. And the fact is beyond all, uh, is we keep building so much more data centers, be it colocation, hyperscales or even or like with edge and i still really don't know how we are building that much regarding the capacity that we already have and the demand that is currently there so my guess here is that we are keep making new data centers because it's a safe financial asset to invest in and also because it's based on the perspective that there will be always more services being put in, more computing power being needed, and more transfer and uh, store, storing capacity needed. But yet, it's just based on perspective. It's not something that is taking into account. So the fact that we, we, might, we might also need to, uh, to write to ration or to to stop the development of not to stop but to at least to slow down the development of data centers worldwide there's a couple of things you brought up there the water crisis the global i, I saw today, this morning an announcement by the u.s government for that for the first time ever it's treating water as a national security issue uh which a historical moment to some extent, but as you've indicated, the the western southwestern part of the U.S. under historical uh, drought conditions, as are significant other areas uh, in the world, and the UN predicts you know very significant droughts by 2030 onwards, and and croplands up to 80 percent of croplands being stressed, and and yet. 
you know, I, I saw this study, I think, by Uptime uh, last year, which said over 60% of data centers don't even bother to measure how much water they're consuming because they don't even think it's a business issue. They don't even, it's not even, it's not even worth measuring. And, and yet we know that, that data centers can be, can be quite water intensive. Yeah, I mean, it's a very specific case for the western part of the US. Um, I've been trying to track down the water footprint, or at least the water demand of data center operators in that part of, of the US because of the drought that they were facing in July or August 2021. And um, first, it's very, very, very hard to get to the data where they are asking for asking for water. Um, like most companies, data center operators like Facebook or Google or Amazon, they don't use their full name. I mean, they don't use their official company name to uh, to make such demands and they use screen companies or they're holding that are in, in charge of data center development. So first you need to find the name of the company, of the screen company doing that. Then you need to find the dates of the actual uh, meeting of the municipal uh, committee of the, where they're deciding uh, how much water, like if they, what they're agreeing on the water demand of the operator. I did that once for, for one data center in uh, Utah in a, for the Facebook Eagle Mountain data center. It took me four hours to just find one data point, which is, which is uh, at the starting of their operation, Facebook will ask for 1,000 uh, cube meters of water and can go up 10, uh, if I remember well, uh, 10,000 square meter, uh, cube meters of water when they finish their development. But on average, um, a Google hyperscale data center will have a water demand of 15,000 cube meters of water. Part of this water is recycled, recycled, reused, and so on. And it's not all, only fresh water being used. They don't need fresh water to cool down a data center. But the bigger, biggest picture here is that most of the water footprint of a data center is in the US, and especially in this region, is indirect. It comes from electricity generation. And if I remember well, in, in US, 80% of the of the water footprint of data centers is indirect because w producing power has also water intensity that we need to account for coming from dams or for steam steam uh, steam turbine and it also applies pressure because obviously the more power you demand and the more there is conflict of use about this power and also on the water that's being used to produce power uh, and also locally on the water that being uh, diverted to data center and that will not go to other activities. So we can also, at some point, we, it will not be surprising to have conflict of views in California, for example, over water, uh, over water demand between farmers and, um, and, the, and the data center industry. And most of the time, it's not the farmers that are, that are winning that kind of conflicts. This... It kind of leads to, you know, the my reading about data centers, you know, when I read from researchers or people like yourself, it's almost a universal um, response that the data center industry 
is extraordinarily secretive. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I read that water uh, is, with from a Google perspective, is uh, considered a proprietary trade secret. And they, they won't even allow public officials uh, tell the local community how much water uh, is is using they're using so why is it that you know it's it's a kind of the irony isn't it of data centers they are the places that store all the information much of which about our personal lives and what we're doing on a day-to-day basis so data centers and and the googles and the facebooks have this extraordinary understanding of our lives and yet we know hardly anything about them and they 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 may go to extraordinary efforts to be secretive. What, what are they hiding? Well, um, it's it's um, I mean it's a complicated question, but for many people that work on data centers uh, footprints, we all, always face uh, the secretive nature of that business. It's very hard to have data and to have. Actually, that it is good enough to be exploited in uh, in research. So most of the time, you work with whispers or things that you hear when you go to professional uh, uh, events of, of this industry. But yeah, it's uh, hard to get. When it comes to Google Water Footprints, um, yeah, no, we are only what's left is uh, water footprint of the all Google uh, company. So it's an aggregated version of the water footprint, which is quite useless. I mean, if you are looking from a total perspective and trying to set up policies at the scale of your state, of your county, aggregated water footprint of Google is useless. If you're doing the national analysis, it can be used. Um, And also it will become, I mean, for me, it will be, it's starting, it will be black boxed even more. Uh, I mean, in some in some facilities, I mean, some some states, Google is also building its own pumping station. So it will be even harder to know what's been extracted, and um, and even on power on the power side, Amazon is also building its own. Um, how do you call that in English? Um, power station or yeah, power station substations. Substations. Yeah. yeah. So also you can also see like a, a verticalization of of the business because they are also starting to develop in term, uh, with commodities such as water or power mm-hmm. and the more they take care of that in, they take care of their own operation on that and the less we're gonna have access to it and that's a matter of transparency that's a matter also of uh, local um, local conflict i think they they start to hide it obviously it can be said it's a state it's a it's like a trade secret and so on. But it's also because, I mean, my hypothesis is that data centers are facing more and more uh, local opposition worldwide um, by local communities because they start to understand that uh, having a data center nearby comes with a price. Um, And most of the positive impacts are not... Primarily seen by local communities, um, when you think of hyperscale uh, installing themselves in uh, 
rural communities in Utah, Colorado, and so on, most of the direct employment for local communities will be security, cleaning, and so on. And it's rare to have uh, local people trained into becoming IT engineers. It happens, but it's not it, it's not for locals. And um, and they come and also this kind of uh, operation come with a lot of fiscal or financial incentives. Uh, the even uh, data center dynamics, like specialized uh, specialized website on that, was making a joke of the Facebook uh, Eagle Mountain data center, where they were claiming that they were contributing up to two millions to local communities, while they get a tax cut of one hundred fifty million dollars. So there's also like a disproportion of that, which also leads to com- to local conflicts that then will Im- that that will result from a that will result from a an increased uh, secret, secrecy around these operations. As you've indicated, the data center does very little for the community it's in, in from employment or otherwise it's, it's, it's not like a, you know, another traditional industry that becomes part of, um, you know, the community, if it's a supermarket or, a, you know, dentist or, you know, does some, most of the data is not being used by the local community, so to speak. It's going all over the world or, or, or whatever. So when a data center comes into a community, it takes far more than it gives. And it's not a labor-intensive uh, industry to start with. Uh, I mean, and also part of it are becoming more and more automated. But, uh, I remember there was a big controversy in the north of Paris in 2013. Uh, it, that was studied by uh, uh, a soci- sociologist called Clément Marquet, where the, the, the city in the north of Paris calculated that the, the employment rate for data center in the, in, in, the, in the area was one full-time employee per 10,000 square meters, when the average in the... On, on the in, in the city was around 50 full-time employees per 10 10 um, 10,000 square meters so it's so way less job intensive data is growing at an extraordinary pace but according to your understanding data centers are growing at an even more extraordinary pace is are we are we essentially potentially looking at a financial bubble uh, type of situation with with data centers over the next five to ten years. Well, to be fair, I have no idea on that because it's um, I don't do that much. I mean, I'm only following from a certain distance the economics and the financial um, news around data centers. There is a good newsletter to do that. So one from Christian Koch that you know, that I receive weekly, and you can see like the amount of financial operation happening in this sector. It's quite insane and. Uh, and yeah, for me, from from my understanding, I don't understand the, how we are, why we are building so much data centers, and also because we are building some data centers where there is already data centers. So it's not an issue of it's not on, so some data centers could be built for an issue of geographical coverage, which is understanding. But when you look at the map of data centers. They are all concentrated in the same location, and which is around big cities most of the time. And 
if they are all at the same place, so it means also that the demand is already already quite covered. So why are we building more? Is the question. And I think obviously some a forecast about new demands, uh, computing, storage, and so on, and transfer is something. But uh, I no, I, I think also it's also from uh, we need to consider the financial aspect of it as a safe asset to invest that and data centers operators are as a safe asset to invest in they have with steady growth uh, most of them at least and everything is working quite well for like if you think of equinix if you think of digital realities that have been bought recently there are huge operations and they are still expanding very very fast and in also new areas but also consolidating in many other places where they already are. And also at the end, you can see like there is only, there will be only few companies left. So there is a concentration of power in for data center operators like colocation, like uh, yeah, Equinix, uh, Interaction and so on. That can be the same as the one you can you see for, uh, for service industries such as uh, Facebook and so on. Yeah, this this overall concentration that that is is going on in in the tech industry has been going on for for the last uh, twenty years. Just you know, so we at a, at a very basic level, data drives data centers. Our processing of data drives uh, data centers or, or you would think should drive uh, the, the growth in, in data centers, the growth of data. But you were talking about, you know, some of the articles I read you know, or that uh, you'd written about um, the, the role of data or measuring data or uh, that the consumption of data um, that you, you think it's not always directly correlated uh, to more data isn't necessarily more energy consumption, so to speak. Could you could you go into just explain that a little bit, uh, tease that out a bit? Historically, we use data traffic as a proxy to um, to for, to forecast the um, the total footprints of the ICT sector. But we did that because we didn't didn't have a better proxy and in a very secretive sector. But it's not because you're increasing traffic that you will increase footprints. Um, if you just think of direct uh, consumption, the only places where data transfer is increasing consumption and in a non-linear way, it's access networks when you are basically transferring data for 4G LT uh, station, but it's represent like maybe 20% of the consum- energy consumption of the station. When you think of data centers, it's not because more data is transferred that directly the electricity consumption will increase. For fixed access network, it's the same. Whatever you, you put a lot of data or not, it's not influencing that much the power consumption. So, it's not easy to use data as a proxy to estimate the carbon footprint. You can use it as a, like a, when you look backward, once you know like how much electricity has been consumed by your network, 
and how much data has been transferred or compute, then you can do that. But you look at it from an economic point of view. It's because you decide that the one gigabyte is the economic unit that you're looking for, like uh, tele, uh, telecommunication operators can do. But we cannot do forecasts out of that because if you think of it, data transfer will only affect renewal, uh, the renewal of public consumption hardware such as sm uh, smartphone or hardware or um, smartphone or computer when there is a change of generation for smartphones. And that's pretty much it. When you look at server and uh, data centers, it doesn't affect directly. Uh, if you look at networks, it only affects directly, uh, or at least directly enough, uh, um, remote access network. But it affects indirectly. Then we, you need to distinguish what is data transfer from a physical point of view and how it affects uh, all infrastructure. So you, you need to distinguish data transfer from a, as a physical phenomenon that affects an infrastructure from data transfer as a, or data traffic as a narrative to justify a change of mobile generation. You can say 4G networks are saturated. We need to upgrade to 5G. Uh, well, that's, uh, that's, that's a narrative that's based on data that says we need to increase our capacity. You were saying there earlier about how in, in France, same in Ireland, you know, we have to reduce energy consumption uh, over the next, you know, it's not about finding, it's not an energy production problem we have, it's an energy consumption one if we're going to have a livable planet. But But let's say if we you know, on one side, we've got this explosion with Internet of Things or whatever. But if we if we broadly speaking said we could reduce the amount of data by 40 percent or, you know, like the electricity consumption, you know, at a macro level, that would have an impact, wouldn't it? It would, you know, the, uh, um, basically, if the, the the data centers are growing in the hope that we're going to have massive Internet of Things data, in, in the process. So whereas at a gigabyte level, it's hard, you know, to track, but, you know, at, at, a, at a macro level, uh, more data in the Z, at the zettabyte level, uh, the explosion in zettabytes of data, if we could reduce that by 40%, that would be a good thing. Well, um, if we say that the all volume of data traffic uh, will be reduced in 10 years, well, it will directly, it will obviously affect the way we are building capacities. Uh, we'll build less data centers because we'll assume that the forecast will be negative in the future. And so we maybe we also reconsider um, building the new generation of networks. But I have my doubts on that because like we've been pushing 5G thing, inferencing like 4G saturated, so we need to... Uh, we need to go to the next uh, generation. But if it was not, not for that, they will have found another narrative. And actually, the, I mean, the, way, the, the fact we are pushing 5G is mostly to, to deal with uh, to massive, uh, machine, ma massive machine connections. So I think it will just be a change of narrative to keep developing a sector that is profitable. So, and the, so at the end, the question is, can the sector be profitable with 
keep going profitable with less data to handle? And, and that's actually quite an interesting question because most of the, the business model of, let's say, Google of, or Facebook is based on data collection, profiling, and getting better data and so on. And so it's and even the way we are training models is based on on a massive uh, of massive use of, uh, of of I mean sorry in use of massive data sets. So the way we are developing the ICT sector is based on the abundance of data. So so could it be profitable if we are not based on that immensity of data production? Is a good question and and to be sure it will be correlated with. Uh, energy consumption if we if we reduce the, cap, the overall capacity of our infrastructure or even if we stabilize it because if even we, if we stabilize the sector as it is today and build way less data centers and keep maintaining our networks as they are for a while with the efficiency gain that we have we could actually be, be able to uh, to reduce energy consumption but uh, to be fair, I think that's not a big worry of the ICT sector because I think most researchers on the topic agree that energy consumption of the data sector of the ICT sector, especially with electricity, will increase largely in the in, a, in the coming years, and they are, and they will lower the carbon emission by integrating way more renewable uh, energy, and also by buying compensation and using. Uh, mechanisms such as power purchase agreements to to guarantee themselves uh, renewables energy, but the fact is we anyway we need to reduce our energy production because we also need to reduce our material footprints and renewable energy are more are much more intense in, when it comes to material intensity. So if we reducing our energy consumption. Our final energy consumption is also reducing raw material intensity. A lot of my work over the last 20 or 30 years has been working in organizations, big big organizations, and helping them better manage their websites or intranets or things like that. And a, and a pattern I kept noticing again and again, this is from 96, 97 onwards, is that basically 80, 90% of the data in an organization was crap was you really, really low level, the, the internets worked better if we deleted 90% of the pages. Where, wherever I went, whatever organization I worked with, uh, there was this massive quantities of, of really totally useless uh, data. And, and and the more I've researched this area, I've found you know, studies that say that only about 5% of data is actively managed. Uh, on a, a, a process, so anywhere you know, from eighty to ninety to ninety-five percent of data, after a couple of months, even even most of it, when it's collected, has no reason to be collected uh, in in the process. So maybe that's partly why data centers are extremely secretive, as well, because they're actually really data dumps, uh, and they're they're pretending to be these wonderful places which store. Tremendously useful stuff, but really, they are they are they are dumping grounds for the 1.4 trillion photos that we take a year, the 99 percent that we will never look at look at again, and that we really do need a review of data. That because if we've less data, as you say, I mean, we don't need 5G. 
5G is a marketing, you know, other than, you know, factories and medical institutions, the vast majority of people can get perfectly by on 4G uh, in in the process. Uh, So we are actually getting new infrastructure, not because we need it as a society, but to meet superficial wants of downloading 8K videos that we can't see the difference between an 8K video and a 2K video uh, in, in the process. So we actually have got into a cycle of data for data's sake or data for the sake of making money for the data centers, uh, even though the vast majority of that data is extraordinarily poor quality. Mm. I mean, like from my perspective, I, um the fact is when we are talking when we are talking about data center development and so on or even data production is that we are missing the framework uh, in which we should evaluate these kind of things is the roadmap for energy transitions uh, all the roadmaps that we need we should actually follow if we want to reach our goal of plus two degree i mean if we uh, reaching the plus two degree world is not really a goal but if we at least want to stabilize uh, uh, global global warming on Earth and trying also to reduce the increase of other planetary limits, we need to think from that and not around that. And when you when you think like we need to reduce by forty percent of final energy consumption in thirty years, there is many things that need to be rethink, and even the way we are developing the ICT sector. Indeed, the ICT sector is based on massive data production and by by organization, by by users, by many by many by many people. But it's a lot. It makes sense in a world that make money out of data production, whatever the quality, because you can anyway enhance the quality by cross crossing this kind of data sets and try to until you make something that can be. Use, useful from a marketing perspective or from a data profiling perspective. So even if we create like low quality data, we we can find ways to make it useful from a specific perspective. This is the one from the business model we are following right now. But indeed, the question of thinking of a ST sector that is not based on massive data production is very challenging and it's very at the same time very interesting because it's hard to think how we can get there and also it's hard to assess what data is what what data is worthwhile or not from um from a user perspective and we don't have constraints anymore that make you make make you have this reflective process of uh should i keep it or not um for many people that uh lived in a world with lower quality or more expensive data the process of picking pictures were makes sense because there was an overall constraint um nowadays there is no not that much constraints the fact is we are in a massive like in the data massive data production world ecosystem is that because we are lowering constraints and making making them visible, and and that's my, that's my take on it. It's like we, when you when you think of the overall constraints that should be there, and are not, then obviously you are producing uh, behavior and business models that are based 
on dump data. A lot of this data that is actually useful is driving the consumption we're trying to reduce. Like a, a lot of the biggest IT companies in the world are now advertising companies. I mean, Google is an advertising company. Facebook is an advertising company. They just, technology is the a side impact of what they do. But where they make, Google makes 80% of its revenue through advertising. Facebook makes 95%. They are advertising companies. So they're using data to actually drive superficial consumption in, in the vast majority of situations. So even the so-called useful data is actually actually destructive of a, a livable planet in the future. So I think I think sooner or later we need to have a, a, a serious policy look at data may be the secret driver of the climate crisis. Mm, I mean, it depends because um, it depends on your definition of data. And I think we need much more um, precision of what, what you call data because be between weather data or satellites data for climate monitoring from or from uh, health health data to uh, to, uh, to advertisement like to data used by for advertisement there is a huge gap which means that if you need to assess which data should be kept then you need the framework that is a highly moral uh, perspective but uh, I would take it the other way by saying like actually what's happening in Ireland is um, can be seen as an interesting experiment because if I remember well, Airgrid put a constraint on the sector, on the capacity of the sector because there would be no more data center, new data centers in Dublin until 2028, if I remember well, uh, which means if the data if data production keeps increasing, then it Part of it will be uh, will be taken care of by data center already existing, and some of it will be deported elsewhere. And it will be interesting to look at that uh, other patterns that um, that that we have from this region to see how it works. But um, I I don't know. It's not very interesting what I'm saying actually at the moment. I I don't know what to think actually about your about your proposal. Okay. <laughs> I need, I need time to think, I think. If you're interested in these sorts of ideas, please check out my book, Worldwide Waste, at jerrymcgovern.com. To hear other interesting podcasts, please visit thisishcd.com.